everybody. Welcome back to Breakfast with Bob from the Challenge Championship and the Collins Cup. We're brought to you by Master Spas, Hyper Ice, Form Smart Swim Goggles, You Can Hoka One One, Class USA, and of course, our Challenged Athletes Foundation. Such an honor to get to chat with one of the true legends of endurance sports, Mr. Phil Liggett. Phil, how are you? Bob, it's lovely to see you again. Believe me, the old days are back in flow. <laughs> I remember being in Lanzarote when you, the two of us were doing the Ironman series, mm. the World Series. And I think you, we were in Lanzarote and then there was Canada and Germany. There was all those races yeah. around the world. So yeah. you've got a, a big background in triathlon. Absolutely. Um, people are always surprised when I say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Slovakia to do a, an Ironman triathlon. Half I mean, I said, "What? What do you know about that?" I said, "Well, I used to do them in the old days, you know, in the in the heydays of Mark Allen. To me, Mark Allen's the Eddie Merckx of cycling, as yes. you know. And Mark yeah. was the man. Met Mark in the corridor. He was the first person I met when I walked in into the center here, and we just hugged each other. Blow the COVID rules. This was a this was a big reunion. I hadn't seen Mark for thirty years. Has it been that long? It's been that long, and." Um, he looks the same man. I, w I would not have walked past him in the street. Nice. Uh, um, he still looks as fit as a flea. They all of our guys. Yeah. Do you see that with the cyclists too? That most of them have stayed. Basically, fit? yes. Um, this is the great thing about our sports and the people we mix in. I, I only at breakfast just now. I was. I looked around. And thought, just by looking at these super fit athletes, especially the women, they're just their body shapes, their size, their strength. It's oozing out, and I suddenly feel fit again. <laughs> <laughs> so phil you what what number tour de france was this well, i've just finished number 49 49 every year since 1973 um i'm just hoping the tour de france actually will count the last two right because they've been done from a little studio in london live into america every inch of the route um but i wasn't actually in france so they might say oh no you haven't been on those two tours um, but I don't think so. I think I mean, you're. I think you're good. I think you're good. Extenuating circumstances. And but it was a great, uh, two great races. They were right. This last yeah, they were, and it was very strange in the, in the beginning going to the studio. But on day three, the boss of NBC called me and said, "Are you sure you're in London?" I said, "What?" He said, "It is going seamlessly. You're sat next to Bob Roll, right. who was five thousand mile away." Right. Um, there was no, there was no lip sync. There was no, there was no delay. Right. Um, I had a little spy camera on Bob, so I knew when he was having his cup of coffee and when he was working. But uh, obviously, you couldn't see those pictures, and it went well. And since then, of course, I've done the Olympics for Channel Seven in Australia. Uh, that was a, an unfortunate timing situation because I had to work through the night for Melbourne because in Tokyo the timing was not good for the Brits. Right. So I actually went to work eleven o'clock at night. And I went home at 9.15 in the morning, having done all the events. And then I went to bed about 2 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. Struggled to get to sleep, but I was lying down. I felt like I was an old cyclist, just lying down when you can, you know. And I got up at 9 o'clock and went back to work and called the next round of it, whatever it was. Yeah. Was it hard not to be in France? Um, yes, it was. And no, it wasn't. I mean, I got used to it. Um, my taxi man, of course, thought Christmas had come hiring a cab every day to get to the, uh, to the studios, which were an hour and a quarter's drive. Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, and he always picked me up and took me home. Strange going home at the end of the day in the rush hour, both ways. And then just having dinner, going to bed and getting up and doing it all again. 
Because I think it's one of those things when you're there, you learn so much. Yeah. From the um, athletes, the managers, all that that you bring into the broadcast. No, you're absolutely right. But the funny thing is, I hardly ever spoke to an athlete when I was on the tour. Really? We used to get there four days before the race. Mm -hmm. And hopefully next year we will be doing it again. Um, and then we do, we bump into athletes and we meet them and we talk to them. Uh, but once the race starts, the day before the race starts, uh, sorry, the day the race starts, at the end of that day, we move a day ahead to the next finish. And oh. as they arrive across the finishing line, we move on to the next finish. So there's no so mingling at that point. We never You're mingle gone. again till Paris. And the riders used to say to me, I know they were joking, but they might see me watching the time trial on the day before the finish because we had time to spare. Yeah. And people like Robin McCune would say, you've been on all of the tour. I was saying, you cheeky little bugger, you know. Of course, I've been on all of the tour. But we work a day ahead, so we don't speak. Obviously, we have our reporters, plenty of them at the start line, to get yes. all the stories that goes into the show later. And any storylines, we get them. Um, but we don't actually speak to the athletes much. But I do miss all my mates on the live television networks because yes. the TV reaches 150 million, 200 million viewers every day, you know. Right. And those guys are all sat alongside me in their own little cubicle. And before we start work, we just cruise down the cubicles, talk to the Norwegians, the Belgian, the French, even the Chinese have a booth these days and chat with my friend from China. Um, our English is getting very good. And we, uh, we just find out about their athletes and what's the word on the ground. We can't do that now. I miss that for sure. So talk about your film, right? That's, yeah. That's been, um, I know you've launched in... What Australia? Yes, it's it's uh, it's a documentary. Yes, it, it, it certainly wasn't my idea because I've always I've been asked many many times to do a biography or an autobiography, and frankly, I don't know whether people want to know the story. However, I was called to the weak moment in the Christmas I think it was twenty eighteen, uh, and um, this film crew rang me up from Melbourne in Australia. I was in London at home, saying we've had this wonderful idea. We want to make a documentary of your life. We think it'll hold up. I said, what? I said, well, if you think it'll hold up and you're paying the bill, let's do it. Right. Uh, and that was it. It happened. Um, it cost a lot of money to, to make. Uh, a lot of the money came from Victoria instead of it from the film board there. It turned out, apparently, the film board only approves so many films a year. And they were fans of mine. I didn't know who the film board is, but they were in straight away with the, with the synopsis. Then the film crew flew out to, but the first time that we got together to start shooting was in South Africa, where I live in the bush during the off period, uh, deep in the bush. So you're, this, you're out in the middle of nowhere? In the middle of nowhere. The nearest town is uh, 40 kilometers away. Oh my God. And um, the, the nearest gate is eight kilometers away, five miles. So you're miles. not getting many people coming up for autographs? Nobody can get there. No, <laughs> no. Um, no, absolutely not. And so Trish and I, we live on the deck. We're deeply into conservation, particularly with the rhinos being poached. Yes. You know, we're looking at 10 years ago, there were 13,000, 14,000. Now we're down to two or 3,000 left. Oh, my God. Because they're just chopping the horns off and leaving them for dead. Um, anyway, we've raised. And they're defenseless without their horns. No, they're not. But the, the thing is that the animals are too easy to kill because they don't run away. Right. They're not as vicious as they appear. Um, no, they're not. But we've proved now that they're not. So, in fact, we're taking the horns off now. And okay. that's costing money because once the animal's got knock on a horn, it's got no value. Uh, and we've, we've actually 
uh, proven this because we've actually seen rhinos come in. They're, they're totally wild. Right. And we've seen rhinos come into the area where we live, one without a horn and one fight one with a horn, and the one without a horn won. So uh, it's, it's, it's okay. Okay. But, and it's like a fingernail, don't forget. It grows back in 18 months. Sure. And it's got to be done again. So the money we were raising was to help, uh, because the, what, the way they do is, is they, a vet goes up in, um, in a helicopter, yes. darts them from the sky, and radios the position. As the animal falls, it takes a few minutes to fall. Then, then the vets down on the ground move in with the nurses. They do other checks on the animal while they're there, not just, they get a chainsaw, quite literally. It looks pretty dramatic, uh, because you mustn't knock the animal asleep, because it'll die. It's only subdued. Hmm. So its eyes are open. So they cover its eyes with um, a tea, tea towel or a blanket sure. or a shirt. And then they get a huge chainsaw and they just slice the horn down to the root. Then they file the shape, just like you do your fingernails. Yeah, yeah. doesn't feel a thing. Uh, the animal is also then checked. Its blood is checked. It, it, they take tests on it. Any wounds it may have had from a battle, they stitch up or whatever's there. And um, you've got exactly 20 minutes because the animal comes out of the coma in 20 minutes. And then... You better not be there because he gets up. Who did <laughs> this? Never, I'm me. looking for action. You know? I'm taking somebody uh, down. We've got a few of the vehicles with horn straight through the sides of the vehicles. You know, oh he's just rammed the vehicles. I don't blame him. But however, we've saved his life. That's so uh, cool. And that's all that matters, yeah. Well, and so the film, obviously, you couldn't come out with a film at the worst time than with COVID, no, with every theater's um, closing down. They, they finished, it took them uh, just under two years. They, they finished the film. First of all, they changed the whole script. It was all about Phil Liggett, the voice of cycling. Right, and they and realized when they, your when, when, when they came to, to a town called Hoodsprate, and I collected them, took them to where I live in the bush, they looked around, they were, God, look at this place, there's nothing here. Just the odd giraffe and the, and the elephant and the lion walking around. Um. <laughs> They suddenly rewrote the script. Then they realized Trish, my wife's involvement, um, Trish was an Olympic speed skater many, many years ago in Grenoble in France. Uh, so we were obviously both athletically minded, right. but this was not just any more about me. Which Trish you probably enjoyed better. Oh, yes. And Trish had a story. We had the conservation story, and they started reshooting the whole idea. And they made a superb film. I have to say, I, I sat there and cried. Wow. Yeah. It's it's sad and emotional and terribly sad was that Paul Sherwin passed away in the December of 2018. The guy I'd commentated with for 33 years, having brought him from the Tour de France to my side when he retired. And um, we've been friends a long time. He passed away very suddenly. He lived in Uganda. We were like-minded with the anti-poaching and stuff. Right. And so then... Um, that that had to come in the show. Absolutely. Uh, when I got the phone call, I was sat at um, my little table in in uh, South Africa. Had he been sick? No, he hadn't. Um, it, it was it was shown as heart failure. He'd come. He'd driven twelve hours through the night to come back from where he'd been. He look. He helps a tribe called the Karamoja people right. in Uganda and does great things with them. In fact, we're, we've continued that now with the Paul Showing project, and so we get money raised and we're helping the people. Uh, educated kids there but he was into it big time he spoke fluent swahili the guy was an african all barley's color you know um, and the people loved him boy they loved him anyway he got home went to bed didn't wake up he was 62 that's way too young no warning no yeah. warning uh and all of a sudden everybody was stunned we 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 organized a memorial service for him at manchester cathedral back home um and so two months later uh Everybody turned up. The Tour de France sent a whole organization. 
um, we filled the cathedral. We filled the cathedral, and it was very fitting. But the the um, the minister who did the service was a South African, was a black South African, and and he came from Durban, and and he knew of Paul, so it was a great service. That is, yeah. And so yeah. the film was able to come out theatrically so, in Australia. Yes, the film was was released there. Uh, there wasn't one bad word against it. The I'm critique sure. was unbelievable. I did. I couldn't go to Australia, so obviously, you, yeah. which was very sad not to be able to go. Right. So I sent Zoom introductions to the films at each of the theatres. And um, I obviously had a lot of crosses to bre breakfast television, right. evening TV, and all the newspapers rang me for stuff. The, 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 the Australians just totally took it to heart. Yeah. And, it, and it's been a great success. COVID, though, everybody in America is sending me tweets and asking me, when the hell do we have to see this film? Yeah. And I feel so bad because we want them to see it. It is a lovely film. And I'm not saying that because it's about me, because when you see it, it's a much bigger picture. Yes. And I want everybody to see it because of the message. Well, we got to help get you know? that out there. Because we so did a film a few happen. years ago. Yeah. came out in 2018 called We Are Triathletes, again, yes. through Demand Films. And Demand Films it, distributed they were They were phenomenal. And we did, I think we launched with 160 theaters in the U.S., ended up doing 300 and some theaters worldwide. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, when when the theaters theaters have started to open in the states, so there maybe yeah, well they've, got, we they've started now to open in Britain, but we had we've had two false starts. Yeah. The whole of the Odeon Cinema chain, we're going to put it out. Uh, we had a premiere booked in Covent Garden in London, which is huge. Yep. And a week before it happened, pulled COVID. Yeah. Yeah, and so now there's there's no future date planned at the moment, but. You know, the, the films have already been made now for two years. Right. So it's getting, it's not dated uh, because I still it's, look the same, but we, we need to get it out there. Right. It is really. Um, and um, honestly, the, the comments from all over Australia have been uh, quite moving. People have just loved it. So hopefully, I'd love to help with in the states, getting getting some getting in the theaters and helping promote and fill up I the will, theaters. Uh, That'd be a lot of fun. That'd I'll, be great. When we finish this interview, Bob, I'm going to write to the to the uh, distributors in Perth. Yes, and give me your email address. That'd be great because I know they might like some help. Oh yeah, and I want the people to see it. I know a few of my privileged mates have got the pre-copy, but uh, yes, the distributors really told me not to do it because uh, <laughs> sure, well, we don't want to go to theater. We don't want to water it down. But, exactly. Uh, so but we'll, I don't want it to go away either. I, I, I yeah. just love it. Will next year be your fiftieth Tour de France? It will. Uh, in fact, funnily enough, I had this conversation just about five days ago with NBC, who called me to ask uh, about next year's tour. Um, I'm so lucky at my age. I'm 78 last week. I can't believe it. I don't feel 78, but I am 78. You don't look 78. And my hero, of course, is, is Sir David Attenborough, the great uh, natural person, yes. naturalist. Uh, and he's into his mid-90s, so still hope. I've got 20 years to go. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, 50th, and NBC wanted to know, did I want to continue doing it in London, or would I like to go out and do it back in France? Because next year they're hoping... The whole world comes it back together. It come back together, but yeah. there's still no guarantee, but it might. Um, and I said, look, I, I'll i go wherever you tell me. Yes. If you want me to stay in London, I'll stay in London. But I, I do miss being there, and this is my 50th. Right. And so it would be nice to say maybe even goodbye to everybody out there. I don't know. But I told them it was in Denmark. And true to form, of course, Americans only think this is the USA. So they said, where the hell is Denmark? 
I said, well, it's a long way from Paris. And for me, it's a two-day drive. Wait, is that where the tour starts this year? Denmark. Oh, my First God. First time ever. It should have started there this year. But uh, COVID and the European Football Championships and the moving of the Olympic dates caused so many problems for Denmark, they had to say, we can't do it. Right. So it went to France in a, in a bit of a rush. It went to Brest right. and Brittany. Yes. Yeah. And they did a great job. So now it's going to go to Denmark. And I've never been, can you believe I've never been to Denmark? I've been to most places in the yes. world, but I've never actually been to Denmark. So I, I kind of want to go. What were the, were there specific stages of the tour that, that you enjoy more than others? Um, obviously I love calling the sprint finishes. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, I've had so much fun over the years calling the finest sprint finishes in the world. The faster exciting. The best sprinters in history. Absolutely. And make it as exciting as it really is. That's the big push. And I look at a lot of the commentators currently, and they're just not cutting it for me. Um, You've got to make that sprint really good. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I love the sprint finishes. But when it comes to winning the tour, I love it when the best man wins. And currently, we're seeing Roglic looking like, as we speak, uh, winning his third well to the Spaniard in a row, which joins in a league, league club of currently two people who've done right. that before. And um, he is looking like being the best man in the tour, just like in the days of Eddie Merckx. Yeah. So with everything that's happened in cycling, uh, with, with the, the Lance Armstrong and all the, mm. the drug issues, I'm still one of those guys when I'm watching and I, I see somebody make a great move, I don't immediately mm. go to, oh, he must be doping. Yeah. I, I, I guess I'm a purist. I just look yeah. at the sport and go, that's great. I did too. Is that for you, same thing? I did too. I got, I got hauled over the coals by some people saying I was in Lance's back pocket during his heyday of his doping. I most certainly was not, of course, and I didn't know he took drugs. No. Like everybody else, there was a suspicion, but I can't commentate on suspicion. I couldn't agree with and that. And Lance would be the first guy to sue me off the television screen. Yes. Uh, so I continue to commentate on what I can see. Of course, I was horribly destroyed when, when he confessed on the Oprah show. Yes. And, uh, and I walked out of that room where I watched it. I was in South Australia to, I thought I was a pop star. There were so many television and radio cameras ramming that foyer. And I said to the people, who the hell are these guys? Who's here? And they said, they're for you. So what? Or because I used to know Lance Armstrong, mm. you know, and worked, and did a lot of work for his cancer society. Right. But uh, yeah, you came contrary to, to popular belief, Lance never paid me a penny. Right. Sometimes organizations did, but Lance never, I never saw any of Lance's money. I wasn't in his pocket. No. But I gave up trying to defend the situation. I'm very clean in my own conscience. That's what matters. Yeah. No, listen, I, I started covering Lance when he's a 15-year-old chubby triathlete. I commentated right? when, he, when he was in the Bermuda triathlon. Exactly. And he passed, and I might be wrong, but I think it was either, I think it was Mike Piggy. It was Mike Piggy. It was Mike Piggy. Yep. It's a long time ago. Yes. I think that's how I got the job here. <laughs> because the organizers, when they, when they said, well, I'd like to be in, involved in the Collins Cup uh, triathlon, I wrote back and said, well, yes, I would, but you realize I haven't called a triathlon since the Olympic Games in 2000 in London, which is true. Um, but obviously, the, the triathletes to me are the great men of the sport. They're so fit. And, and it was not around when I was a cyclist. Right. And, and to this day, I can't swim. So I never qualify, would I? But having, I just love being involved with triathletes because they epitomize such fitness and such openness. I love the guys, so um, and the girls, of course. And so I just... Uh, 
I said, okay, well, that's my, that's my situation. And then they wrote back and said, we remember when you called the Bermuda um, triathlon uh, with Lance Armstrong at 15 years of age. And, and that stuck in everybody's mind, that Bermuda triathlon. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a triathlon. I had no idea what I was talking about. I was in London, not Bermuda. But the guy who I was working with is quite a well-known commentator in Britain on sport. Uh -huh. He got the job of going to Bermuda and he was the front guy. And they just brought me in for the cycling sector. That's but that was my introduction. And then, of course, well, then you uh, David Michaels had all these brilliant ideas to get me out to do triathlons around the world. And yes. I finished up with Al Troutwig. Um, we did Kona. Oh, uh, that was so fun. Then I saw, and I did a lot of the Nice triathlons. Yes. And, and Mark Allen won 10 of them straight. Uh, and that's in the most beautiful part of France. And at least I was in as far as the country was concerned with the Tour de France. I knew the Alpmari team, I knew the course, I knew the people. So I, I could color it. Well, but I didn't. I was still learning the athletes. Yeah. And really, I only had to learn about one in those days Mark Allen, because everybody was else was for second. Exactly. Now, what an incredible character he was. He was the Eddie Merckx of the sport. And I. And I've um, look at how everything's gone full circle. It has. Isn't it's, that fun? Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it, unbelievable. it's funny because well, Jan, Jan, we yeah. just, you know, Jan came up to me. He says, "Hello, Phil. How are you going?" I thought, "How the hell does the world number one know me?" We, he yeah, says, no "You soul. don't remember me." Yeah, I said, "I, I don't." <laughs> and so he said, "But we were together in Cape Town. Well, it's got to be, it's got to be fifteen, twenty years ago, maybe fifteen. I don't yeah, know." Yeah. Uh, and as soon as you mentioned Emma, well, of course, I'd call them at the Beijing Olympics. Both yes, of them when getting the gold, gold medals. Yes. Both of them. Yeah. Uh, 2008. Isn't that the funny yeah. thing? Yeah. And, and so now, of course, it, I, I, I sat down. I was a little bit confused last night. I was jet lagged. Two hours flying is a long way for me after 18 months not flying anywhere. And I sat at the dinner table and I said, it's all come back. God. So I got up and I went out and said, yeah, I'm so sorry. I know exactly who you are now. And I know the whole story. It's just all come back to me. I said, put it down to age. And, uh, and so it's, it's lovely to see him, and he's done so well. He's done so well. And yeah. you know what's great about, we both knew, you know, Mark Allen, Dave Scott, and Paul and Newby Frazier, they were role models yeah. for our sport. Yeah. They were oh, sort of the... Paul they was were, unbelievable. They, yeah, and really, the, when you're the Ironman World Champion, sort of like your Tour de France Champion, you're sort yeah. of the leader of the sport. Yeah. And that's yeah. what uh, they were. And, and Jan has taken that mantle and has been... Yeah. You know, giving he created a little uh, kids bike track in in his town, and he yeah. did a did a he raised two hundred fifty thousand euro doing an indoor Ironman for yeah. charity. So he's he's one of those young yeah. men who gives. This back. is the thing about the triathletes; they're a much closer knit family, I think, than the world of cycling. I think you're right. Um, it's all for one on one floor. Yes, they go and batter each other's brains out in competition, but that's they're not really racing the competition; they're racing themselves. They want to prove this and still do it. Right. Who they beat is not so important to them. And so because of that, they go and hug each other when they cross the line. They've both done their best. Exactly. They're and racing then the course they'll and go themselves. and they'll yes. talk together, they think together, and they're, they're great people together. Yeah. That's why I think I love the sport. As I say, it was never around when I was a, a young cyclist. I raced for 12 years, and uh, the, as I say to this day, I can't swim. I've paddled very quickly when I've been in the situation as I was in the Coddle Sea once, almost drowning, but uh, thank God it was salt water and I had flippers on. I wouldn't have got out. I came what up. Happened? To, I, well, I just went following a stingray with a snorkel on. Yeah. And I was in suddenly 25 meters of water. Oh, my God. And uh, I, I went like that. My wife came up and said, You're doing well. I nodded, filled the snorkel up, and went down. 
And she swam off because uh, uh, I, you thought I, you were doing she, I stood on her shoulders trying to get some air. So she left me. Uh, and, uh, and that was started. This, they, they said on the boat, which is now a little way away, about a quarter of a mile away, just come up and wave with both arms. We'll come and get you. Well, I waved with both arms three times. And when I went down after three times, I thought, they always say, this is it. Three yeah. down, three and you're out. But I, got, I managed to get onto a little coral cay. And I, I sat there, got my breath back. And with flippers and salt water, I had a chance. So I got across to the boat. I said, well, thanks for the help, guys. Almost died out there. My <laughs> wife said, you nearly killed me as well. Said, oh, God. So I'll never swim again. So I didn't. <laughs> Phil, it is always such a treat to get to chat with you. It's funny because I feel well, it's like, like we haven't seen Bob. each other in I don't know how many years. Correct. But, but it's... I nearly I dropped feel like down yesterday. Somebody said, Bob Barrett's here. I said, where? <laughs> what, here in Slovakia? Yes. I said, good gracious. I haven't seen you for years. There you go, Bob. We're back together. I saw you at the tour, at Lance's last tour. I was yeah. there. I saw you and Phil and Bob. Yeah, and Paul. Then, yeah. I'm sorry, Paul. Sorry, yeah. Phil. You yeah. and Paul and uh, and Bob. And then, um, That's gosh, I, and yeah. then we went to Lanzarote together and had a great time. That was lovely. I'm absolutely convinced Paul and you Fraser spiked my drink at the party. Oh, there's no question. At the after party. Uh, she's done yeah. that before. Has she? Oh, yeah. Oh, she's got oh, a she's record. Got a history of that. Yeah. 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 She's not here, is she? No. Oh, she's so lucky she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, thank you so much for it's chatting. A great pleasure, I can't wait for the film to come out in the States. We're gonna we're gonna get yeah, that thing me everywhere. Me neither. Everywhere. We can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Bob Babbitt, we are here at Breakfast with Bob from the Challenge Championship and the Collins Cup. Hold on, everybody. We will be right back.